1: Oh, <laughs> excuse me are you miss eiffel
2: yes am i
1: interrupted yes i'm the assistant your publishers hired the publishers think i have writer's block do you have writer's block i don't know how to kill harold crick this is a story about a man named harold crick harold lived a life of solitude he would walk home alone he would eat alone others minds would fantasize about their upcoming day hello harold just counted brush strokes all right who just said harold just counted brush strokes
2: <laughs> welcome to rewatchability it's the podcast where we rewatch old movies and see how they hold up today in the modern eye i'm robert larone with me as always is lane waters he said his name with a certain fervor to try to get
0: across the audience. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. Just <laughs> Let's narrate this entire podcast.
2: Oh, this has gotten pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if your podcast can't stand without narration, then it's really not working, is it? <laughs> he said disdainfully. <laughs> <laughs> Blaine was doing his narration thing again. <laughs> It always drove Robert insane. (laughs) Once this crisis was over and he could leave his house, he would come and strangle all the life from Blaine's neck. God, just from my neck? Just from your neck. neck. You can have the rest of the life in your body. Uh, This is Rewatchability. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I I don't remember how we start this podcast.
0: (laughs) Well, I think we've already kind of introduced it. We are going to talk about... Stranger Than Fiction. This is the follow-up to last week's podcast where we kind of talked about where we first saw it and Sorry, is this the narrator movie. or is this the <laughs> character of playing? Speaking? How how dare you? <laughs> In my book, there's no difference.
2: <laughs> before we get into Stranger Than Fiction, we should first of all thank our Patreons. Yes, those are the people who give us one, three, five dollars a month who help keep the podcast going.
0: I love how you said yes. Those are the people <laughs> because you're
2: remembering
0: what they what they did for us in that moment.
2: I it was more like I was trying to give it like a certain aplomb, like an author would.
3: Mm, yes, <laughs>
2: <laughs> and the Patreon's in return would get perks. <laughs> Podcast early they would be delighted to find <laughs> i love how this narrator is
0: so divorced from any technology or understanding <laughs> of the world
2: yeah <laughs> uh, the narrator rob not you, not you oh okay i mean you know, she she got a couple of drafts to do this i'm uh so, all. <laughs> what do you call that uh um auto dictation Um, we're here to talk about stranger than fiction the 2006 movie by mark forrester uh, as written by zach helm and last week we talked about our first time seeing the movie and what we remembered about it it was good time <laughs> well, I mean, if you didn't experience that, I don't think you truly lived. But
0: this week we are we are getting into the kind of rundown of the movie and some behind the scenes things that you might not know about this movie, and then we'll uh, we'll see if it's uh, we'll put it to the ultimate test. Yeah, test, which is is it rewatched? Stress test. Oh uh, yeah. So so Rob, uh, you want to take the viewers to this movie that maybe they maybe they didn't take the week to, to watch this movie. Jeez, and they did other work things like like raise their kids. Or right.
2: work from home, you know. Uh, <laughs> a, that's what I've been do. doing, which is just jerk at home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'm being a jerk at home. I really oh, need to
0: okay. better oh, okay. to
2: people around me. Yeah. But... Uh... This is an explicit podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Stranger Than <laughs> Fiction. So, it is a movie about this man played by Will Ferrell. His name is Harold Crick. And he is a very precise man who lives a very precise life. He lives his uh, life counting the number of times he brushes his teeth and counting the steps on the way to the bus stop. And uh, we know all this because the narrator is telling us. (laughs) Right.
0: And it's all, you know, you think it would be boring, but they have an upbeat song over it.
2: Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, you know, this whole movie has music by uh Spoon. Yeah. Which is great because uh I fucking like Spoon. Yeah, so good. Yeah, and actually Britt Daniel of Spoon collaborated with the composer whose last name is Reitzel. No first name. Uh <laughs> Brian Reitzel. <laughs> it's Madonna. It's
1: Madonna.
2: <laughs> collaborated it's with Brian Reitzel on the uh on the score, so that's you know, so that's why it's all sort of Woven through it, but it does have like a good like. Bah, 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 yeah. Bah, bah. yeah, it
0: kind of like when at a certain point, Wilfero says, "I wanted a more musical life." And I was like, "Man, you got it! You're you're in this kind of like upbeat, happy, go so lucky musical already." Yeah, I um, wish my life was scored by Spoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and Britt Daniel, uh, you mentioned Veronica Mars last week uh, being in um, uh, Edwood. Yeah, but. uh, Daniel was was in Veronica Mars. What? Yeah, yeah, played a song. Oh, that's awesome.
2: That show was so hip. Yeah, it was so hip. It was on fire. (laughs) But his life is pretty boring. I mean, it's very precise. He is an IRS auditor, which is not a very exciting career, probably. And he lives a very lonely life. He's been doing the same routine for 12 years, and he doesn't talk much, the narrator tells us. So it seems sort of sad. Except... One day when he's brushing his teeth, he stops because he hears the narrator talking about brushing his teeth. And this confuses him. (laughs) He's like, hello. I feel
0: like like one of our perks on Patreon now should be that you narrate
2: someone's life. (laughs) 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 Because
0: it kind of feels like narration right now. And
2: I'm digging it. (laughs) John the Plane 64 woke up (laughs) in a puddle of sweat. (laughs) (laughs)
0: because <laughs> rob is going to be yelling in his ear all day <laughs> uh, but he hears the narrator which is disconcerting i don't know uh, sometimes on this newfangled thing we're using i can hear my own voice and uh it is very disconcerting <laughs> it's so hard to talk when yeah. you hear yourself or like,
2: you know, your own even thoughts in your brain. I mean, any sort of disembodied voice is creepy because it doesn't have a body. (laughs) But I particularly, I don't like anything that like speaks to me automatically. Like, Like if you go into the beer store here in Ontario, it'll say there's a voice that says, welcome to the beer store. And I feel weird about not saying thank you. (laughs) I was just raised that way. It's polite, you know? Meanwhile, uh, we also meet the aforementioned narrator played by the great Dame Emma Thompson. And when we meet her, she's imagining herself jumping off a building. She's actually just standing on her desk where she's just trying to get a feel for what it feels like. She's obsessed (laughs) with murder and killing people in her books is kind of what we're led to
0: believe in this movie. And she kind of imagines all the ways throughout the movie that like she could kill her characters and what that would feel like in order to write about it.
2: Yeah. And she puts herself into the, into the character's place. It's not like she's imagining Will Ferrell, you know, jumping off the thing. She's imagining herself. Like yeah. Distinction.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, we're also led to believe in the movie that it's kind of her own personal death wish. Is yeah. That, uh, because she's a smoker, she is obsessed with death in and of herself. So she, I think she kind of wants to die in a little way. Um, yeah, probably. She won't, she won't accept help from her assistant, Queen Latifah.
2: Yes, that's right. Her publisher sends her an assistant, and they do not cheap out because they sang Queen Latifah, who is one of the few people who outranks Dame Emma Thompson in court. But
0: I, Yeah, she could lose her head. She really could lose her head.
2: But actually, I mean, they should have sent her, yeah, a therapist would be probably the uh, the better thing to do. Because, yeah, you might get one book out of Emma Thompson, but uh, the way she's going, you're probably not going to get much more.
0: <laughs> yeah, and she seems to have this kind of disdain for any sort of health, like doctors even, um, or therapists, because she is writing in such a way about Crick's life where he kind of, you know, sees a therapist and uh, at work about maybe this voice and about things that are happening to him and she hates this therapist. She hates kind of the establishment or people that try to help people. She's pretty cantankerous in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, she's great.
0: I love her. <laughs> Someone after Rob own Heart. That's great.
2: I want to be like her when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's yeah, morbid, and uh, she's you know also doesn't accept Queen Latifah's help. But uh, Queen Latifah isn't taking no for an answer, so she ends up being dragged out to all these different scenarios where the woman, her name is Karen Eiffel, where she is sort of imagining or imagine experiencing death, you know, or trying to figure out how to kill this character because apparently she's written the whole book but hasn't uh, figured out the crux of what it's about. <laughs> Which is, the death, you know, I mean, it's probably one of the first yeah. things. Do an outline. Do an outline. Yeah.
0: I mean, it, it, to be fair, sometimes, like in writing, you like write a whole book and then realize what it's about at the end. And you're like, oh, shit. And you need to do a lot of rewriting. You know, I think that well, happens to that. people sometimes.
2: <laughs> she seems like she <laughs> had an idea, like, oh, I'm going to write this book called The Death of Harold Crick. And then she started writing, wrote like 800 pages, got to the 899th page, because it's exactly 900 pages, and was like, oh shit, how do I kill this guy?
0: But, but fucking how boring is this book? Because it's just about this insurance guy that like kind of likes this woman at the bakery and his watch. It just doesn't feel like there's any story in it Beyond the story of a narrator narrating his life. Mm-hmm.
2: Also, my is question the story is: We're watching. Whoa! My question is: <laughs> Is in her book, are there passages about him hearing the narrator, or is the book oblivious to all this metafictional stuff happening as well? Is the book a metafictional piece? Right.
0: I mean. There is a point in this movie where they do meet up and she is typing like he ran to a phone and he plugged in the number and he phoned and then her phone rings. And I'm like, "Well, didn't you have to describe who he's phoning?" <laughs> like, didn't don't you have to, <laughs> don't you ha- didn't you have to know that he researched your number in the database? Anyway, we'll get there, but like it just sometimes this movie feels like it, it, it is definitely taking some liberties with the idea, the premise to begin mm-hmm. with um, yeah. that uh, that don't really feel like it, it doesn't really feel like it ties together and makes it a cohesive thing. It feels like
2: it, it gets to like choose and pick which which way it has it from time to time. For sure. Now, Harold, he his life also gets shaken up when he is assigned to audit the owner of a bakery who is played by Maggie Gyllenhaal. And she is defiantly non-compliant in paying her taxes. She's only paid seventy-eight percent, and she's refused to pay the remaining twenty-two percent due to ethical concerns.
0: Yeah, it's it's an act of civil
2: disobedience, you know. Yeah, speak to the man, man. Yeah, and she she's great in this, Maggie hall I mean, she uh, she's amazing. I mean, I that first step. <laughs> You just rewatched
0: Secretary, didn't you? Come on, Rob. <laughs> um, no, I don't.
2: I've never seen. Have I seen Secretary? I don't.
0: I've never seen it either. But yeah, she's so funny in that first scene. Like mm-hmm. when she's allowed to go 110. She's "Oh like, yeah, out of here, tax
2: man, <laughs> tax man." <laughs> <laughs> she's so funny. Yeah, it's pretty amazing.
1: Let's play a clip of that. Listen, I'm a big supporter of fixing potholes and erecting swing sets and and building shelters. I am more than happy to pay those taxes. I'm just not such a big fan of the percentage that the government uses for national defense, corporate bailouts, and campaign discretionary funds. So, I didn't pay those taxes. I think, actually, I sent a letter to that effect with my return. Would be the letter that begins Dear Imperialist Swine.
2: But yeah, he's thrown off, so he has to sort of come back later to finish uh, off. But he's struck by her. Like, this is the meat cute of the movie. She doesn't like him. He is flustered by her. And Mm. uh, he likes it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And he meanwhile
2: has his whole problem
0: of figuring out what this narrator is because we hear very quickly after he kind of meets Maggie Gyllenhaal is that little did he know Harold Crick was going to die. And so he, he hears a dramatic irony and therefore collapses the fact that it is dramatic irony because now he knows he's going (laughs) to die and he needs to figure it out so he goes to a another therapist, a better therapist than his work therapist
2: was. Yeah, that's right. And that's Linda Hunt. And she tells him that he is schizophrenic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and, uh, when he won't take that for an answer, she sends him to a literary theorist who's played by Dustin Hoffman. I think I in point- like the second... Of his great, like, I'm going to help somebody with their existential crisis roles.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, he's so good. That whole blanket speech. In from, Huckabees? Yeah, from my heart, Huckabees. Oh, so great. I love it. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's... I forgot he was in this movie completely. I did not... When he came up on screen, I was like, "What? Oh, really? He's in, in this movie? movie? Because his part doesn't feel like it needs the Dustin Hoffman, you know, like that's a, he's a, he's a weighty actor, you know, he he has a lot to do and perform and and in this movie he doesn't, he's just kind of like, "Uh, I'm a little quirky and I do, but he does it so well. I think he's one of the highlights of this
2: movie for me. For sure. I mean, he, I think he just does like a a Dustin Hoffman-y performance, but it does, you know, he has a lot of charm that he, he brings to it. And he—he he at first, he's not really interested in helping Harold. He sort of sends him off, but uh, he becomes interested once Harold tells him about the uh, voice and about the phrase, little did he know which mm. happens to be Dustin Hoffman's academic interest. He says he's written papers about this, which is like so spot on how an academic is like completely disinterested in something that's fucking fascinating until some little minute detail comes and they're like, Oh, let's do a fucking conference. <laughs> uh,
0: so you have a good time in university, Rob. <laughs> it was Okay. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny! Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to put like a, a lit teacher into this uh, movie as the Mr. Miyagi to the main yeah. character. Uh, mm. I liked that a lot, and I loved their kind of banter back and forth and talk about the stories and the whole exchange of like, "Aren't you glad you're not a golem?" You know, like, all that stuff <laughs> was, was really great.
3: I well, love that. Was it that. possible one time that you were made of stone, wood, lie, buried corpse parts? or birth made holy by rabbinical elders.
1: No, look, look. uh, I'm sorry, but what do these questions have to do with anything?
3: Nothing. The only way to find out what story you're in is to determine what stories you're not in. Odd as it may seem, I just ruled out half of Greek literature, seven fairy tales, ten Chinese fables, and determined conclusively that you are not King Hamlet, Scout Finch, Miss Marple, Frankenstein's monster, or a golem.
0: But I also thought that, like, there should be more. Like, there should be like a little bit more of like let's figure let's figure out if you're in a tragedy or comedy okay that's fine it's like really broad stuff but like figuring out different things about the about the authorial intent uh yeah you know all, all that stuff would have been really really interesting and and take because he's a lit professor he doesn't just teach right. like
2: comedy and tragedy at this point so yeah you
0: know. yeah okay maybe but uh, <laughs>
2: he's me <made> retirement
0: <laughs> but yeah i feel like you might you might talk about different ways of like deconstructing literature like you know uh, there's different ways to read a book so how are we going to read your book Is mm-hmm. like biographical sure. or deconstructionist or like feminist or uh you know <sighs> there's a whole bunch of ways so like it, it would have been interesting to kind of get into that uh, side of things, but I understand that they don't, they don't have much time, and uh, yeah. and that might I mean, seem a little boring to be honest. So
2: the matrix that he gives him to sort of test the sort of comedy versus tragedy is at least something that's like you know memorable for people and that people easily understand. But of course, the flaw in this, which you know he should know as a literary theorist, is that comedy and tragedy is dependent on perspective, not upon. <laughs> what happens i mean if bad things happen to will ferrell over and over again that's a comedy it's funny yeah
0: well especially with will ferrell like and that's that's the thing with putting a comedian into this role is that we don't question whether it's a comedy ever it's a comedy we don't well the taunting music helps too yeah and that's the thing it's it it's not written like it's an out-and-out comedy but it's sure directed and and acted like it is. And I mm. think that there, there might be... There, there's some jokes in the script itself, but there's also some really dark stuff that I think gets a little missed because they went
2: more for comedy than for tragedy. Well, I think this movie sort of embodies something that the 90s and the 2000s really embraced was the idea of quirkiness. So, yeah, yeah it's like, you know has emotion and drama but is also jokes yeah yeah so you know but yeah so harold goes back and finishes the audit with maggie gyllenhaal and she gives him a rough time gives all of the uh receipts and stuff in a giant box and basically has him working like a dog all day to Mm -hmm. help her finish her taxes and at the end of the day as he's leaving she offers him a cookie fresh out of the oven and he's not a lot of
0: big gifts, but, you know, he really wants to at least have a cookie. And they kind of bond. And that's really they, nice.
2: They do bond, yeah. He, he initially says that he doesn't like cookies because his mom only bought him store-bought cookies. What a cruel asshole of a mom. Yeah. But no. then, yeah, I mean, she forces Horrible. him basically to eat milk and cookies, which... That was one of the sexiest things I've ever seen on screen, I think. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I mean, it's just, you know, it's very, like, nurturing and, like...
0: (laughs) I just, I got kind of creeped out because she just watched him eat it. And and have you ever had someone just watch you eat? It's so uncomfortable. (laughs) Oh, yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, stuff yourself. Like, yeah.
2: And she also tells her origin story. This is where she talks about how she came to be a baker because she was originally went to Harvard for law and then she uh, ended up baking for her study partners. And I'm then, sure this
0: is, this is where like actual bakers would realize like I worked my whole life <laughs> to like make a good muffin. And this mm-hmm. woman like went to Harvard law school first. Like, God damn it. Like, I hate you movie. Like I worked hard for this and she just fell ass backwards
2: into it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean I think people probably come to it in a lot of different ways, but I thought it was sort of interesting because mm-hmm. like it's a story where like oh yeah, like okay, here's this woman who is going to be a lawyer and she sort of gets like relegated to baking snacks mm-hmm. and then that becomes her career. Yeah, yeah. Like you can read it I mean a few different ways like are are they saying like, you know, like Are they saying that there is an element of sexism to that story or like to her experience? I mean, Mm. interesting. I like I'm not saying that it intends to say like, well, a lawyer is a pretty big job for a woman. Wouldn't you rather be a baker? (laughs) But it does seem to have like a little bit of that in it. Right. Like.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Here she is.
2: You yeah, know, this I, like revolutionary, I, I, leftist, progressive, talking about going to communist meetings and fuck the man and she has the clash playing on her uh stereo. But yeah.
0: It's kinda of like the opposite of the end of SLC <laughs> Punk, where like he's like, I, I I i didn't sell out, I bought in and I'm gonna change the system from within because I'm a lawyer now. They're like yeah. she she's like, Fuck the system, like all this, all this is bullshit. I'm going to become a baker and mm-hmm. going to make recipes from the anarchist cookbook. You know, so yeah. I mean, I can, I can. I don't think it's it's trying to say that that's too heavy bird a woman.
2: At least I, I hope not. It was 2005. <laughs> I really I, mean, hope not. I hope not too. But it, it does seem to like in concert with the whole like Will Ferrell's mom wasn't nurturing him enough, and so now when this woman nurtures him. You know, he falls in love with her. It's sort of like, it creeps me out just a little bit. It's, but
0: and It's, it's, it's be interesting like, because
2: they, they do balance it out, though, with having the
0: author of the book be the dame herself. You know, I, right? I, I think that helps balance out what is usually relegated in a rom-com to being like, you know, the man Manic Pixie Dream Girl or whatever. Well, it's, it's just going to bring that up. up. Yeah,
2: I was just going to bring that up. Like, I would say, I mean, as much as I love this movie, and it it does charm me, and I really do love Maggie Gyllenhaal. She definitely is like playing that part. Like, here's this woman and oh, she has these ideals, which are so lofty and naive. And she lives this life, which is perfect and cute. And she doesn't follow the rules, which I wish I could not follow the rules, but you know, maybe she can change me just a little bit. Dude. It's, it's total like
0: white suburban dude bake. you know, it's just like, I wish I could take off my tie and meet this like young hipster Baker from the city. <laughs> she totally changed my world by having <laughs> sex with me. Like it's just. Total... She turned me on to marks. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. And the clash.
0: She made me listen to Spoon, and uh, yeah. and now I listen to it every day just to get me through brushing my teeth. Like I just, yeah, I feel like it's it's a little bit targeting one particular audience.
2: But and uh, also, while we're talking about like the the white person problem, we should also mention that like there's a little bit of Queen Latifah's character. Being in the super duper magical Negro category, once again, like a black person is brought to help a white person figure out their shit. Right? She had like a set of golfing clubs with her at the time. <laughs> She's just, like, yeah, that's just, like right. walking into the office. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> at the end of the movie, she just vanishes, disappears. Yeah, and but, I oh, mean, like right. because
2: her character isn't like a huge focus, it doesn't, it's not as glaring as in other films, but I think it's definitely there there's a
0: there's a little bit of that it does fall into certain categories that we're i think more aware of now but this is 15 years ago i don't know whether that forgives it but it definitely places it within a context that uh these things routinely happened in so um yep.
2: okay uh, so we have a few more things to get through so the big thing is that like eventually he does talk to the author he he tracks her down and then calls her just as she's about to finish writing his story and basically, like, saves his own life at the last minute. Your
1: eyes! Your fingers! Your shoes!
3: Hello.
0: I'm Harold Crick.
3: I know. How did you find me? We audited you a little more than 10 years ago, and and your number was in the file.
1: I'm sorry, but this this is incredibly
2: strange. Uh, You're telling me. And she sort of lets him go away with the ending, and so he initially gives it to Dustin Hoffman to read, and Dustin Hoffman tells him, sorry, this is the way that it's got to be. It's a brilliant book. It's very poignant. There's no other way to do it. Which is not really what he wants to hear. No. So then he kind of, you know, reads the book himself to be like,
0: does it need to end this way? Maybe I can be a writer overnight. Maybe I can rewrite this
1: (laughs) bullshit.
2: Yeah. He reads the whole thing on the bus, and uh, then he tells her that, yeah, I mean, she has to end it that way. That's the only way that it can end. And he's willing to sort of accept that he is going to die. And so he goes about his day, and the big moment happens where we've seen all of these moments sort of like coming up to this point, like the the woman starting her job as a bus driver, the kid on the bicycle, the apple, and then all these events happen. And this kid rides out in front of a bus and uh, Will Ferrell sort of saves his life, but he gets hit by the bus and presumably dies. Mm-hmm. However, at the last minute, it turns out that she couldn't do it. She couldn't kill him and so she ended up making it so that he was saved by a shard of his watch, which embedded in an artery and total missed. Iron Man shit. Total Iron Man. Shit. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, his watch was a Timex Iron Man. So Oh, it's very there you go. Nice. <laughs> Foreshadowing. nice. Also,
0: yeah. you know, the Dustin Hoffman asked her, like, this isn't a great ending to the book. You know, the other ending was better. Like, why would you change it? And she says that, the man like Will Ferrell was willingly going to sacrifice his life for the end of her book and isn't that a character that you want to keep around I was like no, that sounds psychotic (laughs) (laughs) yeah like if (laughs) someone was like I want to. I want to kill myself so that you can finish your book. You know, I'm sure George R. R. Martin has gotten that. <laughs> you know, he's like, I know, I, I don't want that. I just want to entertain people. Like, no,
2: don't kill yourself. <laughs> Let me kill myself. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But so that's three hundred million fiction. Yeah. We'll be back after the break with some uh, behind the scenes and trivia. Nice. Welcome back to Rewatchability. We are talking about Stranger Than Fiction. Blaine, have I got some trivia for (laughs) Vu? Hit me with it. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. So this one's about books. I hope that you can read. Um, What literary work does the phrase Stranger Than Fiction come from?
0: God, when was the first book made? I don't think they used fiction back in Shakespeare's day. I would say it's not that. And, I don't know, let's, let's say it's, it's from a
2: Charles Dickens book. No, that's incorrect. It is Damn from it. Lord Byron's Don Juan. And the quote oh. is, "Tis strange, but true, for truth is always strange, Stranger than fiction, if it could be told. How much would novels gain by the exchange? All right, all right, Byron. Uh-huh. Yeah, of course, Byron was at that famous thing where they uh, invented Frankenstein. Oh right, like the writer's circle. Yeah, and also the uh, the vampire. The first vampire story was also about him. Oh wow!
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. So we okay, got so a that... whole
2: uh, a whole awful universal universe. <laughs> That's right, It's basically all from that one like uh, writing session.
0: <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> we had to get a okay. Tom Cruise movie out of it. Okay, going
2: trivia. Of the two. Mm-hmm. This same year, two thousand and six, Queen Latifah also had a starring role in a movie in which her character is told that she is going to die and has to learn to live her best life. What is the name of that film? <laughs> Taxi? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. No, no, I, I, I can, like, see the poster. I can't remember the name, of but what, what is it? I, it.
2: It's, <laughs> I, I can see the poster, too. It has LL Cool J, and he's, like, holding her, right? <laughs> It's Last Holiday. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. It's a remake of uh, an Alec Guinness film from the 50s or 60s. Alec Guinness. Yeah.
0: Okay. Go on. What's what's the third one?
2: Okay. So the third question, this film features two obvious Academy Award winners, Dustin Hoffman and Dame Emma Thompson. Who is the third actor in this film who is an Academy Award winner?
0: I'm going to say Queen Latifah.
2: Whoa, that is wrong. Damn it. She was nominated for Chicago, uh, yeah. but she didn't win. Oh, Maggie Gyllenhaal was also nominated for Crazy Heart, but it was actually Linda Hunt who plays the psychologist who tells him that he's schizophrenic. She won a Best Supporting Actress. Can I guess the movie? What? Was it Incredibles?
0: No. Because she was, was animated in <laughs> the Incredibles. She looks so much like
2: that woman. Go on. What was it? Well, (laughs) okay, so get this. It was for this movie called The Year of Living Dangerously, which is starring Mel Gibson and was directed by Peter Weir, who directed The Truman Show. But she is playing Billy Kwan, who is a male Chinese-Australian dwarf. Yeah, I saw that movie like three weeks ago. What, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's about
0: about the Indonesian... uh, Anyway, it's, it's, it's an insane movie. And well, did you was,
2: realize that that was that woman? God, no. She does such a good fucking job. Well, she's an amazing performer, but problematic. I mean, yes.
0: It just just the fact that it stars Belle Gibson, it means it's problematic. Yeah. But, uh, I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, just like,
2: it's 1982 when this film was made. I mean, no excuses for Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah, but, I was just about
0: to say, like, she sings Moon River so well, though. I don't, I don't know.
2: <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Uh, it's so crazy. Good for
0: her. Uh, that's that's an insane role to take on. First of all, but she she does a really great job. It's so racist, but she does a really great job.
2: There's a few other things I should mention about this movie. It was a thirty million dollar budget, and it did make about fifty three million dollars worldwide. So it wasn't a huge success, but not a huge failure either. I did find this great interview clip on Movie Phone, which was will ferrell interviewing dustin hoffman and dustin hoffman interviewing will ferrell and uh <laughs> i think i should just play a clip of this
3: is it possible that you could have fallen in love with uh, if you hadn't met your wife with maggie jill and hall under just normal circumstances because you guys seem if so connected i
1: had not yes she's a lovely woman yes
3: and we really kind of connected you didn't have to act that bad stuff no i could tell you felt very comfy and cozy. Va-va-voom. Va-va-voom indeed. Right. She just had a baby. Could you have married Emma Thompson? No.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. That yeah, is so like, awkward.
2: Dustin Hoffman, uh, well, I mean, you know, it's been reported that he's a, he's a creepster. But uh, what, what what if your wife gave you a hall pass? Would you
3: have
0: uh, chucked Maggie Jones? <laughs> would you have <laughs> uh, you know. done it? Yeah. Why? I should, Why not? I hate Why? that I have
2: to bring this up, but, like, you know, you can't talk about her performance or her abilities as an actress. She's an amazing actor.
0: Wouldn't you want to just, like, uh, butter her bread, though? Uh,
2: wouldn't you want to just see her above the <laughs> job? I,
0: I just – I don't know. This, yeah, that's, that's so horrible. <laughs> that's not great at all.
2: Yeah. Um, this, I want to play another clip, too. This one's a little bit more germane to the discussion.
3: If someone gave you a completed book of the rest of your life – would you open it? Are there illustrations? Uh, Do you want to know what tomorrow brings. No, you don't. I don't think so. No, but you know there are people who, who would, would like afford to afford it. They go and have these uh, scans, these MRIs, and scans. Yeah. They want to know, it or, you know, or, or they're now right. being able to tell you uh, certain genetic places that what what you're going to get. You want to know what you're going to get if you had a if you were relatively assured that you could live.
1: At, would you have your head frozen?
0: Wait, would you would you have your head cryogenically frozen, Rob? I already
2: have.
1: <laughs> You're just like in the
0: freezer right now. That's not how it works, man. But that That's was the best acoustics
2: for recording. All old um, peas frozen to your hair? <laughs> oh, the last thing is that this movie is a goldmine for college essay writing services. Like, if you need to write an essay for your film or English class, there are like a billion that have been written on this by somebody <laughs> else that you can purchase.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's the thing about it is that it that's the thing about this movie is that it kind of tries to have its cake and eat it, too. Like when he meets Emma Thompson at the end, she's like, "How did you get my number?" And you know, what did you think of this? You know what he thinks of that. You know how he got your number because you wrote his life. And yeah. if and if like he could choo- like, choose to do something different, he would have. And uh, that's the thing that like I don't get in in the in the movie writing business. The character goes for their goal, and his goal is to not die. And so. <laughs> Uh, and to understand what's happening to him and he tries to understand in the first part of the second act all the time and then the second part he kind of just like finally meets her and then realizes he needs to die and doesn't try to not die anymore and that is so sad and Mm -hmm. i think way more depressing than eternal sunshine (laughs) in a big way like at the beginning we talked about like how you know the movies in this room, the elephants in the room, front Eternal Sunshine, other like uh, Charlie Kaufman movies, And, but they were so depressing. But I find this movie, he just kind of gives up. I guess, like, <laughs> I, I, you know, and, and that that feels so horrible and so wrong and and so not true to the character and what he's found. I mean, he's found someone he loves, and he's yeah. finally living his life. And he goes, "I'll give it
2: up so that you can have a bestseller." Like, I but just, isn't living your life, life being able, being willing to give it up? Hmm? No. Oh, no? Oh, okay. Well, what about, like, you know, the heroes out there, the healthcare workers and all those? Are you saying that a character in a book isn't as much of a hero as a person? Uh, <laughs> I'm okay, saying you taking...
0: Calculated risks in order to save more I was lives. Saying, than just if one. people
2: have to die for our entertainment, that's uh, just something that we have to uh, accept, you know?
0: <laughs> this is like Gladiator. Reopen the
2: streets, reopen the movie theaters,
0: <laughs> reopen the Coliseum. I think it could have been a really more interesting movie if it didn't try to be a rom com at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, like, for him to try to do something that she isn't writing, or, like, maybe when she's not writing, he can live his own life. But then when she gets a typewriter, you know, does he feel control? This is determinism versus free will. Like that's a huge, like lot of a quagmire of a debate. And there's a lot to come out of that, like in, in terms of like storytelling. And they just don't approach it at all. Like yeah, does he yeah. have control over his own life or is she, or is he willingly kill himself or is she murdering him? Well, we we also don't don't know know whether she's
2: actually controlling things. I mean, everything that she types happens, but is it that she just has some sort of telepathic link to the world or something? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it 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 leaves a lot like it leaves a lot to be desired in terms of the metaphysics of it, but I think that you know it's as a love story and as a romance, it does work, and as a story about like an everyman character. Like, I think it has something to say about, you know, going out there and living your life and all of that stuff, which maybe not the, you know, most uh, unique message, but uh, it's one that we all need to hear sometimes.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear you. It is, it is kind of, it's light, it's airy, it's positive, And sometimes we, we need a movie like that when life isn't positive so, or light or airy.
2: <laughs> so do you
0: think uh, this is rewatchable really for you? I think it's mildly rewatchable. I don't know if I'm ever going to watch it again, but I was was entertained and watching it for the second time after 15 years of not watching it. So, yeah, I'd I'd say it's mildly rewatchable. Uh, There there are some, we've already talked about the problematic nature of it and the fact that it didn't go as deep as it could have. But, yeah, maybe this is the first-year essay uh, on (laughs) the subject and, you know, something like... Um, it's a gateway. Gateway. Cynectiki, Cynectiki, New York is more the oh, fourth yeah. year term. You don't, major. you don't
2: want to start with Synecdoche, New York.
0: <laughs> so yeah, I, I, and I think there is a lot of value to be gained from being the gateway drug. You know, we all we all love marijuana. So we all love um, <laughs> marijuana. <laughs> You're like I second that. Especially now, <laughs> um, essential service. And yeah. so yeah, so I I would say. I would say mildly rewatchable. What about you, Rob?
2: I also think it's... uh, mm, I'm going to say it's rewatchable. I think it's more rewatchable than I thought it would be. Mm. I think it's delightful. There are problems that I have with it as, like, you know, Mr. Movie Critic, but I really just want to put some of those aside and enjoy the film for what it is. And It has a lot of elements that are really enjoyable, and it's funny. There are parts that really make me laugh. I really enjoy Will Ferrell's performance. I really enjoy Maggie Gyllenhaal's performance. Uh, Dustin Hoffman is also fun. So, I mean, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a rewatchable one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And that's Rewatchability for this week. So you can find us on Apple Podcasts where you can rate us and leave a review. You can engage with us on Twitter or Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. And if you uh, have a movie you want us to uh, watch, you can engage with us there about that too. And you can also go to Patreon and uh, make a uh, donation there, $135, any amount that you want. And that helps us keep the podcast going. And anything else before we go, Blaine?
0: He yes, asked Blaine, inquisitively. <laughs> I wasn't that inquisitive. He said defiantly.